Grab your Bibles, um, go to the book of Exodus. Um, I'm going to spend some time. Can we bring this down a little bit? It's um, really, really. I'm going to spend some time in Exodus chapter 17, but I want to begin. Let me, let, me, let me take you on a journey through there. We've been teaching extensively on the series Exodus from Slavery to Canaan. Um, I want to end this series today because Easter is next Sunday, and you kind of want to make a shift. Um, so we might pause Easter Sunday and bring a word, a relevant word for Easter. And then I think there's one more part to this that I just can't leave off. Um, that's just imperative as we take, we've been taking this journey, leaving Egypt, going to our place of promise. Because uh, does anybody know we can become complacent along the way? Yeah, we, we become complacent along the way. So like the Lord is just saying to me, um, address the issue of complacency. Um, and so I, I might just want to talk briefly next week, not next week, the following week, about that golden calf thing. Um, because that's my problem. And whether you're willing to admit it or not, that's yours too. Yeah, when God doesn't show up, we ask Aaron to build us a golden calf. Yeah, and it delays progress to Canaan. Yeah, so we might talk about that, all right? Um, but today I want to I wanna go on the back end of the series that we've been dealing with. And uh, if you've been missing it, I want to invite you to go online and either grab the podcast. You can load those on your phone now and play them in your car and listen. Or I believe our tech crew has the sermons online where you can grab into them. But I'm going to move really, really fast today. I just want to share three brief things to you. Um, and here's the big preaching idea that I want you to take away. Turn your neighbor real quick and say, neighbor, let God fight for you through you. Yeah, I want to turn to the other neighbor. Say, other neighbor. Let God fight for you through you. Now, please pay attention to that statement because um, we messed that up and we want to fight for God. Yeah. And when God fights with us, we forget who's doing the fighting, and we want to take the glory. Are you with me? So it's very, very important that you understand, let God fight for you, through you, okay? So we're going to revisit some things um, that I want to share with you, and I'm going to try to be as succinct as I can this morning. Um, I'm always competing with that clock on the wall, um, but it's okay. We'll get there. Jump to verse 19 of chapter 14. Let me say this. I, I'm just going to read a couple of things. I'm going to make a couple of comments to kind of take us to where I want to land. And then we're going to go to work um, in chapter 17. Chapter 14, Exodus chapter 14, verse 19. Uh, and I am reading from the ESV um, for this particular series. Might switch back to the NIV, so we'll see where, we, where God is taking us. Say amen if you're there. Now, I need to read this to kind of set up where we're going to go. Notice what it says in verse 19. Then the angel of the Lord, who was going before the Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness. And it lit up the night without one coming near the other. Now, let me read. Then Moses stretched out his hand, and we all know that's the staff, over the sea, and the Lord, the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night. He made the dry land, and the waters were divided, verse 22. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. 
verse 23, the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Um, in the morning, watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels, so they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord, what? Fights for them. Against who? Dang, let God fight for you through you. Uh, 26, um, then the Lord says what he needs to say. Jump down to verse 30. Verse 30. You guys are there? Verse 30, important. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. 31. Israel saw the great power that the Lord had used against the Egyptian. Very, very important phrase. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his servant, what? Now, just by way of background, this is the only background information I'm going to give from the previous series. Last week, I spent a lot of time sharing with you that the problem with the Israelites in leaving Egypt, going to Canaan, was this. They would walk. And they would look over their shoulder to see if the Egyptians were pursuing them. Y'all remember that, right? They would walk and they would look over their shoulder. Um, and, and their whole contention up until this point was they were more afraid of what Pharaoh and his army could do to them than what God could do for them. Y'all remember that, right? Okay, very, very important. So, so up until this point... Even though they trusted God and served God and they had some semblance of belief in Moses, they were literally afraid of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. So once God dealt wholeheartedly, completely with the Egyptians, verse 31 says, When Israel saw that God, this is me paraphrasing, had the ability to deal with the Egyptians, it says then all of a sudden God got their respect. Yeah. They, they feared God, and then they believed, what's the word says, in the Lord and in his servant Moses. A lot of us can't really trust God fully yet because God hasn't quite dealt with the Egyptians that's been pursuing us. So we're still more afraid of the Egyptians than we are of God. But I'm hoping as we leave uh, Exodus, as we make our Exodus from Canaan going in, I mean from Egypt going into Canaan, that throughout the series, you'll begin the process of allowing God to completely annihilate the Egyptians that have been pursuing you so we can trust God wholeheartedly. Come on, are you hearing me this morning? Uh, I'm, the, the thing that always keeps us in fear and bondage is fear of the Egyptians. And as much as we don't want to admit it, we fear that thing more than we fear God. Are you with me? So then God delivers them. Let me just talk you through chapter 15. They're all excited now. They're songwriters. They're worship leaders. Moses is writing song. Miriam's are writing, Miriam is writing song. And God is doing some phenomenal things in them. Then in verse 22, keep your head on that Bible. Down at verse 22 of chapter 15, they get to a place where they're wandering. Um, I think it's about a three-day journey so far. I think it says that somewhere in there. And then they got thirsty and they start to grumble. Okay, they start to complain. Okay, here's how we do it when the blessing wears off. <laughs> Don't I, come on, y'all. Yeah, yeah. When you come off the high of I'm nothing without you, when that wears off, yeah, then you're gonna get 
Lord, where you at? You know, and then you get to grumbling and complaining. Come on, no different, no different, no different. And so God provides water. God does what God needs to do. And then the thirst wore off, and chapter 16 began. They got hungry. Let me tell you how that works. When it's Thursday, and you're not going to get paid till next Wednesday. <laughs> Come on, y'all. That's how that works. Are you with me? And then you get hungry, and then you get concerned about God. And then the thirst quenches, the thirst is quenched, but the hunger steps in. And here's what you say to God. God, did you bring me all the way out here to die in the wilderness? Here's what they said. You got to read chapter 16. I mean, this thing is graphic. Moses, check this out. When we were in Egypt, man, we had collard greens and chitlins, and we had, you know, we had the hookup. We were sitting behind the barbecue pit, and our stomach was full. Now we're out here. There's nothing to eat. What is we supposed to do. I'm sorry, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> you, can't, you get the deal, right? What are we supposed to do? And they're complaining to God. And so God takes care of them as God does, and he feeds them with manna. Come on, y'all know the story. And chapter 16 talks all about that. And then the manna runs out, then they get thirsty again. Lord Jesus. Repetitive cycle, chapter 17, verse 1. Look at chapter 17. And then they start complaining again. God, what are you going to do? Then God speaks to Moses to say, strike the rock, and the rock's going to produce water. And so all along, God is taking care of the Israelites. And then verse 8 of chapter 17 picks up. And let me read this and let me talk through, let God fight for you, through you. And I just want to share three simple things as it relates to the text. Now, look with me at verse 8. I'm going to deal with verse 8 through 16. Look at verse 8. It says here, then. Come on, say then. then. Say it again. Say then. then. Yeah, that's, it's, it's like, it's almost as if then the next sequence of events that transpires in the life of the Israelites picks up. Okay, watch this. Then Amal Amalek came. Translation says the Amalekites. I like Amalek. That's truer to the original. Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses says to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill, and I love this, with what? You remember that staff, right? With the staff of, my, of God in my hand. So Joshua, first time we're seeing him, did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses Aaron and her went up to the top of the hill. Dang, God, what next? Right? What next? Let me, let me look at verse 8, the first part. This is why I wanted to use the ESV. Uh, it's closer to the Hebrew. Um, the translations are a little more literal. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at this place called Rephidim. Um, some of your translation says, then the Amalekites came and fought with the Israelites. Right? Come on, say amen if your translation says that. Nothing wrong with that, but if you read it in that vein, it can cause you to miss some things. And so the closer you can get to the original, the more sense it makes. Come on, say Amalek. Amalek. Met Israel. Then the battle began. Okay, let me, let me help you all with this. You will remember back in Genesis, I think it's chapter 25, 
there was this man named Isaac who was married to a woman named Rebecca who had, when she became pregnant, there were two nations in her womb. Y'all remember that, right? And I think somewhere around chapter 25, the prophecy was given that the older is going to serve the younger. Come on, y'all know this, right? And so these two boys were born, one named Jacob and one named Esau. And remember with me, Rebecca, um, the mother of these two boys, um, heard the prophecy at, was, as was revealed to her. And so being the mama that she was, wanted to ensure that the prophecy was realized. So she goes off and starts to help God out. Right? Come on, y'all. She goes off and starts to help God out by fixing the sets of circumstances to guarantee that what God said was going to happen. Does anybody know when you try to help God out, you more times than often mess it up? Not for God, but for yourself? <laughs> Come on, talk to me this morning. And, and y'all notice, y'all notice on Jacob, whose name meant trickster, um, his, the first scenario was his brother Esau came home from hunting one day, and he was hungry, and, and he, he went to his brother Jacob and said, hey, man, hook a brother up. You know, give me some of those collard greens um, that you're cooking. Uh, this is the urban version. And, um, and, and, and he said, no, um, I'll only give it to you if you give me right to the house when daddy dies. I want y'all to get the translation. You get what I'm saying? Because some of y'all don't know what a birthright is. <laughs> okay? When daddy goes, make sure I get the Cadillac. And uh, make sure I get the set of horses. I know you're supposed to get them as the firstborn, but make sure I get it. So he tricked his brother into giving him access to the birthright for a bowl of lentil stew. Okay? That's the first scenario. Second situation was um, daddy was aged and he was about to die and move on. And, and Esau went out hunting and mother tricked Jacob into looking like Esau. You ought to read the scripture. He went out and put on all this goat skin and went in the yard and killed a fresh goat and cooked up some stew and went and fed it to his dad and said, now dad, bless me. Y'all know this. And then dad blessed him tremendously and gave him Esau's blessing. And here's the kicker. Then Esau came home from hunting and said to his father, bless me. And then his daddy said, I just gave your blessing away. Y'all know this. Come on. Well, the, the reason I'm boring you with this level of detail is that was the beginning of national wars between two nations. Are you with me? And you will remember with me that, that when Esau set out to kill Jacob, Rebekah sent him to her brother Laban. Come on, y'all. To hide for all these years. Y'all remember that. And when he got to Laban, you'll remember how Laban in turn, because it was in the blood, tricked him into marrying. Come on, y'all know this. It seems like what mama has, daddy has, and brother has, and we likely to get it too. That's why we need to deal with the cycles of iniquities. Y'all know that. Y'all know that. But anyway, 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 he, he finally ends up with the woman, Rachel, that he was bag, um, bargaining for. Now he's on his way back home after years of serving Laban. You remember he encountered, he heard Esau was on the road. And he sent all these gifts ahead to Esau to prevent a war from happening. Y'all remember that, right? Okay. So God graces him through that. So time happens. Um, the story moves on. Esau has a son by the name of Eliphaz. Okay? 
And Eliphaz gives Esau a grandson by the name of Amalek. Amalek is Esau's grandson. He's the progenitor or the founder of the nation known as the Amalekites. Come on, y'all. Now, now, you know what the prophecy was, and you know every time daddy sits with his boys, he's going to say, let me tell you what they say is not going to happen to us. But let me tell you what we're going to make sure happens, because we're not going to allow them to come and take anything from us. So we're going to fight against what the word was. Come on, y'all know this. Y'all know this quite well. Y'all know this. And, and so these two ensuing nations were at odds with each other for many and many of years. Now, here what's striking to me. This is the part that really messes me up. God takes the Israelites, and he hides them in Egypt for over 400 years. They're in slavery, or they're, they're living in however they're living, use slavery, use working, whatever term you want to use. Moses goes and he delivers now the Israelites from Egypt 400 years later. God now is taking them to the place of promise. Guess who's living there? Y'all get it. Y'all get it. Amalek's descendants. Esau's family. Guess what they're not going to let happen? You got it. I don't care how long y'all been in Egypt. We have not forgotten. <laughs> don't you just hate folk like that? Come on, y'all. We, we don't care how much time, yeah, has elapsed. We don't care how long you've been where you've been. Come on, I need to, I need, I need to work with this because, I mean, this stuff is deep-rooted. It's thick. And the text says, just as it, almost as if it said the same thing with Jacob and Esau, because understand now, at this point in time, God has changed Jacob's character and renamed him into Israel. And the, the nation now is called the Israelite. And I love the ESV and I love the original Hebrew because it says, Amalek encountered Israel. It's almost as if those two boys were at it again. The fight, though, is, is, is for possession of this place of promise. They're in wilderness and in, in the wilderness and in the wilderness of Canaan. And they're about to make their entry to go to this place that God has given them. And here are the Amalekites saying, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Oh, they're going to stop the younger my foot. We got this. We have this. And so verse 1 picks up and it says, the Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. Now, here's the first thing. I want y'all to take away. Never engage opposition or the opposition without the presence of God with you. Are you with me? So, I mean, turning them and said, neighbor, whatever you do, don't engage the opposition without the presence of God with you. Now, the reason I need y'all to get this, and just bear with me as I kind of talk with you this morning, is because we'll fight the wrong way. Come on, are you with me? And, and we will end up engaging the enemy 
as opposed to allowing God to fight for us. Come on, does this make sense, guys? Um, we need to stay out of the way and allow God to do what God wants done. Now, what I love about the text and what I love about the lessons that the Israelites are learning along the way, and I'm hoping that we learn the same lessons as well, is that in this battle, there is no mention of fear of the Amalekites. That's important, guys, because a few chapters earlier, we saw them being afraid of the Egyptians, okay? And the reason I had you read chapter 14 down at the latter part, I think it was verse 20-something, that the Israelites now feared God and believed in Moses is because if you fear God more than you fear the opposition, oh, I wish I had somebody in here, you're not concerned about who's standing in front of you. Oh, oh, come on. You'll be able to engage the enemy and take him head on, but don't make the mistake of thinking it's all you. Yeah, 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 yeah. There, there is no mention of them being afraid. There is no mention of them talking about, let's go back to Egypt. There's no mention about them complaining about Moses because they just witnessed the hand of God. They know now that God can fight for them. And I wish I had two people in here that knows that God can fight for you. God just demonstrated what he's able to do, and they know now of the fighting ability of God. So check Moses out. Here's what we're going to do, Joshua, which means Yahweh is my salvation. You just go on down there, and you go get you some men that can fight. Because God's going to fight with us, through us. Yeah. So, so stand still. It's not a passive standing still. I wish y'all wish y'all would. <laughs> Him fighting for you, through you, doesn't mean that you just stand like this. You got to put some work in. So, so listen, listen, Josh, you, you get you some brothers and you going down in the valley. I'm going to position myself in a position of prayer to hear from God so I can release what God is saying. Are you with me? Come on, talk. And so now watch the verse. Watch the verse that says, So Moses said to Joshua, verse 9, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with what? Ah, come on, y'all too cute on that. With what? With what? The staff of God. Where? In my hand. Now, I need to take a moment there because every person in here must understand that if you have a relationship with God, here's what I've been saying all along. God, too, has given you a staff, and there's a staff in your hand that's symbolic of the presence of God in your life. And if ever you are to engage opposition, don't you ever make the mistake of putting the staff down and going into battle. Come on, are you hearing me this morning? You remember with me, up until that point in time, there was no such thing as the Ark of, Co of the Covenant. God had not yet spoken to them in that way. The only evidence they had that God was with them was the staff that he gave Moses. And you remember the staff was the thing that Moses used in Egypt to perform the plagues that he did, such that the last time he encountered the Red Sea, when Moses complained to God, God's response to Moses was, what's that in your hand? I wish I had a few folk that knew how to raise the staff. 
Come on, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that knew how to raise the staff. Listen, listen, listen to me carefully. By virtue of the fact that you've accepted Christ in your life as personal Lord and Savior, Ephesians 1.13 says, Having believed, you were marked with him with a seal, which is the promised Holy Spirit. Listen, baby, you don't need the Ark of the Covenant today. All you need is the presence of God that lives in you. you got to hear me. And wherever you show up, God is. And if God is in you, don't make the mistake of engaging the enemy. Listen to how I'm going to say this. In the flesh, approach them in the spirit. Why are you saying that, preacher? Because Ephesians 6 and 10 still says, for we wrestle not against, yeah, 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 flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. So pick up your staff. Put on the whole armor. I wish I had somebody in here of God so when Amalek shows up, you can take your stand. Are you hearing me this morning? My problem, and, and, and I was careful in not saying in engaging the enemy, I was pointed in using intentional words like engaging opposition. Because sometimes opposition can be in the home. And you best not call her or call him the enemy. Just say opposition. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, y'all. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sometimes, sometimes opposition can be on the job. Are you with me? And you best not go up to your boss talking about you the enemy. No, no, no. You'll be praying for another job. Just say opposition. Are you with me? And so when you engage opposition, you leave the flesh on the outside. No, let me, let me say it correctly. Send the flesh down to the valley. And take the spirit up on the mountain and position yourself with the staff of God in your hand. Are you with me? The reason we lose, the reason we lose so much, and it's not fear, it's not that we're not afraid because we're no longer walking in fear, but we fight in the flesh. Come on. Somebody says something to you. Heck, let me say it better. Amalek shows up. That, that's your past. That person you thought you dealt with yesterday. That situation that was in your childhood. Come on, a long, long, long time ago. And then you gave your life to God. You've been serving God faithfully all this time. And then you got hit with the thing. Then all of a sudden, the spirit that resided in you just disappears. And your neck gets to doing one of these numbers. Your fingers get to snap a hand on the hip. You... And something comes out of you that you didn't even know existed. <laughs> you didn't even know it was there. Never engage opposition, the opposition, let me make it a noun, fighting in the flesh. Always go with the Spirit of God. Are you with me? Repeat after me. Say self. Engage opposition in the presence of God. Second thing. And I'm going quick. Don't fool yourself, and I'm going to say this grammatically incorrect for a reason, into thinking you're the only somebody that has a staff. Right. 
Well, let me say it better. Don't fool yourself into thinking you're the only somebody that knows how to work the staff. Because the opposition will wear you out. Are you going to need some help? I've been dying to get to this point the whole series. Because your staff is not the only one or you're not the only person. Let me put myself in it. We are not the only people that God has gifted with a staff to engage the enemy. Okay? And, and I'm going to say all this up front, then I'm going to read it. And don't be so prideful that when the opposition has you, and, 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 and let, me, let me just, y'all bear with me, because this is, this, is, this is a pet peeve of mine, that, that we're so prideful, we get our butts whipped from the enemy, and we won't call Aaron and her. to come help. Let me put on my pastor hat for a little while. Um, there's nothing more frustrating to Katani and I than when a church member comes and says, I just got a divorce, or this just happened, or I just filed for, you kind of get the deal. And they come and tell us on the back end of what they did, as opposed to coming on the front end and saying to us, the Amalekites are winning. Listen, guys, and I love you all to death. Don't nobody in here care about your business. They don't have a heaven or hell to put you in. Are you with me? The goal of God and the heart of God is that the people of God live their life to be such examples to the world. Are you with me? That when they see how the love of God and how God is loving and God is caring, not so much God by himself but through his people, the world will want to come to know God like that. But listen to me. But if we're struggling just like they are, come on now. And we can't get help just like they can't. And we name the name of God? Do you understand for one moment what would have happened in chapter 17 if God was strong enough to defeat the most powerful nation on the face of the earth, but he couldn't deal with the cousins of the Israelites? You know what that would have said to Israel about God? And you've got people in the church of God leaving Egypt, going to Canaan, but getting beat up at every pit stop. And next time you see them, they back in Egypt making bricks out of straw. What you doing there? Man, I bumped into some Malachites. <laughs> Read, look at the verse, look at the verse, look at the verse. Verse 11. When Moses held up his hand, the staff, Israel, what? But whenever he lowered his hand, who prevailed? Look at verse 12. 
But Moses' hand grew what? Yeah, weary or heavy. And, and uh, no, no, let, me, let, me, let me read. But Moses' hand grew heavy or it grew what? Weary. Let me read again. But your hand will grow weary. Okay? And watch this. And so they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it while Aaron and her held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. My problem is I can't fight all by myself. I don't care what kind of staff I have in my hand. Fatigue is going to set in because the enemy fights persistently and consistently. If there was any somebody who should not have gotten tired, it was Moses. Excuse me for a moment. Who in the world do we think we are? That we can fight by ourselves. The only reason we do that is because we fooled ourselves into thinking we are the only one with a staff or qualified to hold our staff up. I thank God that when Katani and my marriage was on the brinks and on the rock, that I had men and women of God that flew into town and set us on a rock and held our hands up. Are you with me? Are you with me? Don't be so prideful, church. Don't be so prideful, congregation. I'm almost done. Get some help. Get some help. Let me switch illustrations. The reason you're broke and you're 90 is because you don't know how to manage money. Get some help. <laughs> the reason you're on your 10th bankruptcy is because you don't know how to manage money. Get some help. Are you with me? Please do not be offended. Please do not hear the heart and the spirit of what I'm saying. The reason you're still stuck on welfare is because you don't know how to get off. Get some help. The reason the marriage is still failing is because you don't know how to fix it. Get some help. <laughs> Are you with me? God has an Aaron and a her waiting to sit you on a rock and assist you. I want y'all to hear me, okay? Get some help. I am where I am in life, and you can be where God wants you to be in life, not because Felix knows that much. Felix don't. Felix had sense enough to get some help. Are you guys hearing me? I mean, it's very, very important in going from, from Exodus, taking the Exodus from slavery to Canaan. When you begin the journey, you won't know how to do it by yourself. It's okay to have somebody sit you on a rock and hold your hand up. Because the winning of the battle is not in the lowering of the ham, the hand, it's the raising up. Are you with me? 
And if you've got no, nobody to hold your hand up when you get fatigued, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get tired. You're going to get worn out. You're going to get fatigued. And because you're so familiar with what exists in Egypt, guess where you're going to go? Right back to familiar territory back in Egypt. Are you hearing me this morning? Turn to your neighbor real quick and say, neighbor, I love you, but get some help. <laughs> yes. get, get some help. Get, get, get some help. Hear my heart, guys. Get some help. I, I, true story, y'all think I'm smart, but I'm the dumbest person on the face of the earth. I spoke at the Community College of Aurora um, about two Saturdays ago, and I'm sharing my story with these guys about this used-to-be corporate electrical engineer guy, and they're thinking I'm the smartest person on the face of the earth. They really do, because they hear engineering, and they think, oh, man, he know how to do calculus, diffy-cues, all that good stuff. And I said to them, man, I suck at math. I did. It took me a long time before I even knew my timetable. If you get to know me well, you'll find out I'm dyslexic with numbers. You'll, I'll mix them up all day long. Guess how I graduated from college and achieved my goal? Got some help. <laughs> right? And then I thank God for the calculator. She got by her shanda. Yeah. That's what I'm talking <laughs> I was a programmer, man, and I learned how to program. I could write any formula. Thank you. Get some help. Are you with me? There's an Aaron and there's a her. As we kind of talk about getting to the season of more than enough, one of the things we're going to be doing is bringing in help into the congregation to help people. Get some help. Okay, now watch the third thing, and I'm done. The third thing. The third thing is this. Now, when God delivers you from the opposition and you end up winning because you're going to win, I want y'all to hear me, you're going to heal. I'm being very positive and very affirming as I kind of talk to this. Don't make the mistake of thinking that you did it. All right? Always give God the glory. This is the last thing I want to share with you. Don't make the mistake, because here's, here's, here's our testimony. Lord, I thank you that I, Lord, I thank you that I, that, that God, I did this, and no, you didn't do nothing. No, 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 no. God fought for you, through you. You just didn't realize who was doing the fighting, because he used you to accomplish the deed. You're crazy enough to want to take the glory for it. So look at the last verse, and I'm done. Then the Lord, verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in the book and recite it in the ears of Joshua. That took me a long time to figure out, why would God say recite it in the ears of Joshua? Lord, what's that all about? Then it, it kind of struck me that Moses did tell Joshua to go down into the valley and engage the men while he went up in prayer. So Joshua could easily make the mistake of fooling himself into thinking it was my gift. It was my skill. It was my leadership ability. It was my this. So soon as the victory was done, here's what God says. Moses, call Joshua.
last one really, really quick and, and drum it into his ears is the literal translation. Listen, brah, this wasn't you because to demonstrate it wasn't you, I put my arm down on spite just so you can get your butt whipped. <laughs> and God will do that from time to time with us to remind us not by might nor by power, but by, yeah. If there's one mistake I make, if there's one mistake you make, is on the end of our victory from the opposition, we want to take the glory. Drum it, he says. Let's look at this. Look at this. Look at this. He says, drum it into the ears of Joshua. And he says, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Yahweh Nisi. Or the Lord is my, is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from what? Generation to generation. So much in that text. But let me just say this and then I'm going to end with this because I want us to pray as we pay our hearts and minds for this Good Friday service. Jehovah Nissi, a hand was raised against God. And listen to what the text says. I will engage the raised hand. It's saying it like this. Joshua, I need you to know that I intervened because the Amalekites attacked my chosen people. So all they need to do is hold their peace and let the Lord fight their battle and victory is going to be yours. So here's an outstanding principle that's going to go on from generation to generation to generation. Um, Joshua, you need to understand this. If ever you engage the enemy... Let me fight for you, through you. Because I'm guaranteeing you victory if I do the fighting and you are the vehicle through which I fight. I'm going to do the fighting. You just let me be the vehicle through which the fighting is done. For the principle. Imagine what a community, what a congregation, what families we can have if we can learn when we engage opposition, zip it up, and let God fight through. I want you all to hear me. I have a men's group, and, and our men, we meet, and we be all over the place. But yesterday, one of the brothers kind of said, as you were talking, he kind of used the self-strength. He said, man, I'm a strong man. I'm a strong man. And we all, yeah, dog. You know, and brothers, you know, and brothers get together. We like, yeah. He says, but man, I done got married. And she's a strong woman. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, and he's so right. When I fight, I sure enough got to kill the flesh and let the Lord fight through. So my home can be peaceful. Are you, are you getting this? Yeah. So here's how Paul puts it. Um, crucify the flesh, we die and let Christ live in us, right? I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives where? In me. So when you engage opposition, let the flesh stay behind, let the spirit show up, and watch the outcome. Watch the outcome. Men in your homes... Are you with me? And don't talk about, she always got to be right. It's cool. Better be right. 
you'll be the happier for it. <laughs> you ain't got to prove nothing. You go in the bathroom and say, I know I'm a man. I know I'm a man. <laughs> and then come back out and be like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> do, do what you, you got to do. Are you with me? That's fighting in the spirit. That's letting God reign through you. Don't you go fighting. And this is the problem we make when we engage opposition. We never sit long enough on the mountain with the staff raised so God could speak through us. And we get stuck on the journey. And we can never get to Canaan because we can't get past the Amalekites at Rephidim. <sighs> Bow your heads with me. Lord, what a mighty God you are. Thank you for what you're teaching me, what you're teaching my home, my family, my wife, my kids. You're teaching us how to have a peaceful home. And you're teaching this church and congregation how to have a peaceful life and how to be successful in the world in which we win. So God, I pray this morning for that person of persons that don't think they have an Aaron and a her. Church is a body. Hand can't say to the foot, I don't need it. Ears can't say to the nose, I don't need you. So Holy Spirit, God, just move in this place, Lord. Forgive us for not calling on Aaron and her. Forgive us for not depending on the Spirit. Forgive us for fighting in the flesh. Forgive us, God. Forgive us. Forgive us, God. As we near the end of this series of Exodus, we've seen you defeat the Egyptians. Those are direct opponents, but now relatives and church members and the inner circle, people that are closer to us, you're teaching us now how to engage that so we can have healthy relationships, healthy lives. Move forward in a greater place with you. So God, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the teaching, God. We learned three things today as it talks about letting God fight for us, through us, is that we learn not to engage the enemy without the presence of God. We learn never fool ourselves into thinking that we're the only somebody that has a staff. You have an Aaron and a Her that's waiting for us. And on the other side, God, we're learning to not take the glory, but to build an altar, a memoir, God, something to remind us of what you've done, such that when the Jebusites and the Perizzites and the Philistines show up, we have a history of what you have done. And we can reach back and say, the same God who delivered me from that can deliver me from this. So like Paul says, God, to the believers in Acts, in you, I move, I breathe, and I have my being. In other words, God, I'm nothing without you. So Holy Spirit, we just worship you this morning as we give our hearts to you, God. That if there's one here that has not said yes, that needs prayer, that they would come and say, pray for me. Come 
I want to give my life to God. I want to know God in a special way. I want to know him differently. So God, we thank you for who you are. We love you. We worship you, God. We give you praise. As you're sitting there, just...